Welcome back to uh, what I think is the eighth week of the Your Modern Family series. Has this been not an incredible series together? And I'm excited to be back with you today on Father's Day. I've changed up the message today because God's been dealing with me about something for several weeks now. And so we're going to add one more uh, message uh, on the end of this. We've got one more topic to cover. But today I think it's going to be hopefully the best message in the series so far. And I hope you'll get out your notes and have something to write with. We're going to do a serious Bible study today. It's going to be in two passages of Scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 8. And while you're looking for that, let me just say I want to give a tribute and honor to my dad, Don Chesky, today who, if it was not for him, probably none of us would be here today. Uh, he and my mom are celebrating 46 years of marriage today. It's incredible. I had a father that showed me what God is like, and he is compassionate, and he is caring, and yet he's strong, and he is, has convictions, and he has a true soft heart for God. I know what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, I wish that godly men would be everywhere lifting up holy hands to him in prayer, without anger and controversy. I saw that from as early as I can remember, a man who was unashamed of his love for Jesus, and he loved people. And he prayed, and his prayers were powerful, and I saw the Holy Spirit working through him and answering his prayers, and the faith that that gave me, as even as a child. I remember one time, uh, we were even had a home invasion. We were held up by gunpoint. I watched my dad lift up his hands and begin to pray and watch God completely deliver us out of that situation. And, and that's a whole other story. But I have seen the power of God at work through him, and yet I saw an incredibly faithful, loving father. And you know, the impact of one life, because of his life to serve Christ, and he's launched hundreds of people into ministry. There's churches all over the world. And I think we're one of those churches, and I'm one of those pastors that he launched out in his life, um, and, uh, and it's just something to say thanks for. You know, my dad did not, his dad did not always know the Lord. His dad uh, did not believe in Christ until almost the age of 50, and so there was a moment when my grandfather, actually through my grandmother, had a humbling moment where he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The decision of one person. You may say, well, I never had a dad like you had. Well, my dad didn't have a dad like I had. But at the age of 50, my grandfather changed uh, his heart, gave his life to Christ. And the impact of that one decision, there's a scripture that says God is the father to the fatherless. And if you didn't have a father like that, imagine God can be your father and he can use your life to affect thousands of people because of your one decision. That's the hope of the gospel, that every life can mean something when we come into the right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about God, our Father. Because if we have the right relationship or the right view of a relationship of God as Father, it's gonna change everything. It will change every other relationship that you have. And I wanna start off by reading this very famous passage of scripture that you all know, it's in Matthew chapter six. Jesus is speaking and he's teaching us how to pray. You've seen this before, verse six. And when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. And here is the part that you all know. Our Father, 
in heaven. Hallowed be your name, or praise, not just praise, like, wow, you know, praise, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak right now in this holy place, and may we have a view of God. Some of us, we've never seen God this way. Others need to be reminded. Others will be blown away at who you are. I pray that you'd help me and help all of us today to hear the voice of your spirit as you talk to us in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The hospital called. Regina had died. She had no friends. She had no relatives. Nobody knew from where she came. All she had in her possession was a crumpled church bulletin from the church where I was an associate pastor, the church that she had visited. The hospital called and says, do you know Regina Bates? We didn't know who she was. Looked it up in the computer, and sure enough, a Regina Bates had been to our church three or four months before, and we remembered her, a very poor widow, little German woman who had no friends and no family and was very needy, and we gave her $250 to help her pay her heating bill. It was in the middle of winter. She was very depressed, and we prayed for her several times, but we really didn't know who she was. She came in, and she went out, and now she had died, and no one was there to claim the body. So they called the church, and the church paid for her funeral. And my father-in-law, whom you met a few weeks ago, David Costin, the senior pastor, was deemed the executor of the estate by the state of Pennsylvania. Went over to that home, began to look at what is left of the estate, and it was the most awful little home you've ever seen, a hoarder's house, uh, filled with trash and paper and debris and a little tiny pathway through the center of the house just you could barely walk through with piles and piles of papers and boxes and the smell, it was a disaster. Some people were put to work to sort through it and to find out what of any value, if there's anything left in this place, and you will never believe what they found. Inside those stacks of papers were thousands of stock certificates, thousands with value into the hundreds of thousands, certificates for security boxes at banks that contained diamonds and rubies and precious metals. There was a cash box in the back of the house underneath all kinds of debris that had $85,000 in it. The overall value of the state when sorted through was over a million dollars. There was no windfall for the church, unfortunately. In those stacks of papers, there was a will, and uh, that will sent it all to a TV evangelist, <laughs> you know, so. <sighs> but poor Regina had no idea. She either, she was in, she had no idea. Either she didn't know what her husband had done or she did not have the capacity to know the riches that were right under her nose. She had no idea what was available to, to her living in all of that clutter. 
I have been talking to you about God's dream for the modern family over the last eight weeks, trying to hold up. This is the dream that God has, and in no way to try to condemn or to make someone feel bad about their current condition, because it is what it is. But I also want to hold up, this is the dream of what could be, and what should be, and what ought to be, and how terrible and tragic to go all the way through our life living in the hoarder's house, living in a state where we don't really realize the riches that are available to us. Because the premise of the series is that we're not experiencing God's dream for the modern family. We are experiencing something far less, and there's an epidemic of bad relationships, uh, trashed marriages, and broken and bad parenting, and terrible family-sibling relationships, and broken relationships at work, and churches, and, and across all spectrums. We don't need to have it proved to us through statistics. We just know we are experiencing it. And so why? The thesis has been that our relationships have been based on uh, the system of this world, which is based on something called contract. It's a business relationship. It is, well, I'll do for you if you will do for me. Here's what I've got, what do you got, and as long as it's mutually acceptable, we have business together. God's view is completely different. He has a relationship that is built on covenant but most of us, all we have ever seen in our entire lives in every relationship is this business contractual system of relationships based on, you know, it's a contract. I'm going to draw the line right here, and you can do anything but cross that line. You cross that line, and I'm out of here. Where the day you stop meeting my needs, I'm out of here. Where um, as long as I can get value Great, but just like your shopping habits, if you find some place that will get you through quicker at a better quality, you will go to the new place because time is precious and I want better value and you better keep improving the value or I will find something better. This is the nature of how we relate to almost every person in our lives and that has been translated, unfortunately, into the way most people think about God. That system of thinking has translated into the way we view our relationship with God and God doesn't relate to us that way. God relates to us on the basis of covenant. If you go back to the very first message, we talked about covenant. It is to, to literally to cut, that, that cutting was involved, that we, that, that we separated from what we were attached to, and we came and we joined together, and blood became one, and we are well one flesh, and, and uh, we will never forsake one another until death do us part. We, are not, we don't belong to the other. We belong now to this new union. We are, we're one. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. What did he do? He died for her until death do us part. I'm never leaving you. I'll never forsake you. That's the kind of devotion that God has. So let me ask you a question this morning because it's going to frame our whole talk. Is the relationship you have with God more of a business relationship, contractual? A, are you a border to a landlord? Or do you have a family relationship like a son or a daughter? I want you to think about that. Is your relationship to God today more like that of a border than of a son or a daughter? Imagine with me that you live in someone else's home. You have a landlord and you are the tenant. There are rules for that relationship. You can have a pretty good relationship with the person as long as the rules are kept. If you pay the rent on time and you respect the property, 
all will be well for the relationship. And the landlord has rules too. The landlord has to provide the space that was agreed upon and he has to take care of it because it's his responsibility. My son is living in Chicago right now. He is uh, living in a rented home with three other boys. There's four 21, 22-year-old boys living in a house together in Chicago. Um, The air conditioner has been broken for the last two weeks. I found out about this when I talked to him recently, and he says, yeah, Dad, it's like 88 degrees in the house. Really? How long? Like two weeks. Nick, call your landlord. They have to fix that. And he goes, well, we did, but listen to this. But, but the landlord's like a friend of one of the guys. Uh-oh. Everybody say, uh-oh. Because <laughs> now there's this personal thing in there. He's, so we called him, but we don't want to pressure him, and he's not responding. It's, I said, Nick, 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 listen. This is not personal. This is? Well, you know this. It's not personal. It's business. Like, you're paying rent. If this was all about friendship, he'd let you stay there for free. So this, this, is, this is a business relationship. You got to call him and say, hey, he's got to come fix his deal. Otherwise, the relationship's contractual. It's conditional. Like, you don't do your part, we go find someplace else to live. We'll give them our rent money. We're not staying in your, in your house. It's conditional. Performance-based. Okay. So that's the question. Picture that. That's at one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum is the relationship that a child would have with their father living in that house. A child doesn't owe. A child inherits. A a child doesn't owe rent. The child inherits. In, In actuality, everything that belongs to the father ultimately belongs to the child. I'm not making some excuse. Every analogy has its flaws, and this one has one. If your kid is home at 25 laying on the couch doing nothing, this does not apply to you, okay? (laughs) I'm just telling you right now. There could be a conversation about covenant relationship. You ought to be doing something, you know? But let me just say for the practical purposes of this illustration that there is is a renter relationship, and then there's the relationship of a child that doesn't owe anything, That, that business relationship is what do you got for me and what do I have for you, A covenant relationship is who am I to you and who are you to me? That's a totally different paradigm. There's a very brilliant pastor named Tim Keller. I don't know if you listen to his podcast or not. It's Redeemer Church. He is a brilliant man. And he says something about this passage that we just read that is absolutely true. It's stunning to think about that you can tell from this passage, the Lord's Prayer, you can just tell by how people pray what kind of relationship you have with God. I know there are people who've prayed this prayer their whole lives that they've never been aware just by how they pray that you can tell if they have a border relationship with God, a a tenant, a business relationship with God, or if you have a father-son relationship, a family relationship. Jesus said, when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans. I know you think pagan means some godless atheist kind of a person, but that's really not true. A a pagan's a very religious person. Don't be like those pagans that keep praying continually. They pray all the time. They babble on with their prayers with many words. The word babbling means empty. And the many words at the end of that sentence comes from a Greek word that means anxious. Empty prayers and anxious prayers. (laughs) Everybody in America prays. Think about that. Everybody's in my thoughts and prayers. It's just common. Everybody's praying in America. We all pray. We're a nation of people that pray, but empty prayers and anxious prayers. What do your prayers sound like when you pray? What what do your prayers sound like when God is not doing what you expect him to do or, or things aren't going the way that you wanted them to go and he's not doing what you want? It's a clue to whether or not you're a border or whether or not you are a child. 
empty prayers, cold, impersonal, mechanical. They just, I do it because I have to. And they're actually a little bit irritated because I've been paying the rent and he's supposed to come through with his part. I've been, I'm doing my part, God, where are you? Why haven't you done? Empty, cold, irritated, angry prayers. And then anxious prayers, the opposite. I've not been paying the rent. <laughs> uh, I feel guilty for what I've done. In fact, I don't even think, God, you would ever answer my prayer. In fact, why are you, you're probably not even listening to me. And on and on the words go. Either way, it's an indication of a person who has a contractual kind of a business. I've got my part to do, but you've got your part to do. A border. Are your prayers empty and cold or anxious or irritated? God, I want a relationship with you. I call you father, but really I treat you like you're a landlord and I'm your tenant. Is that what your relationship with God is like? Is your relationship like that of a border or that of a child? See, this is why it's so absolutely important. Jesus starts the prayer, our father. He doesn't start it with our king, though he is, our master, though he is, our creator, though he is. He says, our Father, and those two words determine everything about our relationship with him. A lot of people think they have a relationship with God as Father, but everything, uh, the way they pray, the way they act, the way they see everything in their life indicates that they really think that they're just a tenant trying to pay the rent, trying to keep the laws, trying to keep the rules, trying to make God happy enough to do what I want, living under the Old Covenant. Old Covenant, what's the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant is the way it used to be before Jesus came. The system, the contract that God set up with people in the world, really to give a backdrop to here's what it's going to be like if you try to approach me on your own righteousness. You will never be able to do it. God says, here are my laws. Keep them. If you keep them, I'll bless you. If you don't keep them, you'll be under a curse. And people tried for thousands of years trying to keep God's laws. And you know, they weren't bad laws. They're good laws. Good things happen if you keep his laws, but, but people couldn't keep them all. And you ended up keeping some and not keeping others. And people lived in condemnation and guilt and lived under a curse. And God says, you could never keep that covenant. And there are people today bearing the name Christian. Uh, people observe people calling themselves Christian who really, it's not Christianity at all. It is really the old covenant with a Christian label. There's a lot of American Christianity today which has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with religion. People trying to keep the rules, keep the list, keep the laws, trying to keep God's favor. And people look at that and go, I don't want anything to do with that. That's horrible. Uh, I don't like it. It's unattractive to see someone living like that. Um, you know, they want to, to be free, but, but they can't. Man just trying to obey the rules. That's what religion is. It's empty. And it's hard. And it's difficult. Like a boarder trying to pay the rent but can't keep up. And it's just trying hard to do it. It's, it's tough. You ever meet a miserable Christian? You ever meet a mean Christian? I mean, flat out just mean Christian? You've met him? Like, you're going to hell. You're not keeping the rules. You're not keeping the law. You're going to hell. <laughs> Listen, I don't have to go there. I'm here right now with you. <laughs> you know, mean Christians. And you know why are they so miserable? Because they want to be happy, but they can't. They've got so many lists, and they're not keeping their own lists. And they're mad at the world, and they're mad at God, and they're mad at you. Miserable. Doesn't work. Because they're living like a border instead of a loved son. Now, let me tell you about this old covenant and contrast it with the new what, what Christianity following Jesus, what Jesus really did is all about. Here, here's what the, it says in Hebrews chapter 8. Let's go into this Bible study and look at this. If there had been, verse 8, if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. 
If there had been no need for, there'd be nothing wrong with that first covenant, we wouldn't have had to have a new covenant. God found fault with his people. They couldn't keep the rules. Look at this. But, in the, but the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. He's talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments. This will shock you. God is not standing over you saying, keep the Ten Commandments or else. He's not doing that. If, if your religion is just a list on stone, Paul says that religion will actually bring you down. That that, that's impossible to keep. It'll make you miserable, and ultimately it leads to death. And so he says that old covenant didn't work. A new covenant had to be found. Why didn't it work? Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. I turned away from them, declares the Lord. And God says right there, the covenant didn't work because people, let's be truthful, they couldn't keep it. And you, yeah, I know that's true. I can't even keep my own standard, let alone all of God's rules. Right. So let me show you a new way. Let me show you the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in three very simple phrases. Uh, Chris Hodges wrote these, and they're so clear, I just want to pass them on to you. Take a look at this. The Old Covenant is external. It's just a list on stone. It's just, it's just impersonal. It's, it's do this, do this, don't do that, really don't do that. It is a impersonal. It's not relational. It's just, it's just a list of rules. It's going through the motions trying to just do a business transaction. It's like what happens in marriages when people let the love go. And over time, the love kind of slips away. They forgot their marriage covenant, and now they're just mechanically going through the motions. You see all these empty nesters getting divorced after the kids go because they lost the love. They're going through the motions. Once the responsibility is not there, it's like we're done. They forgot their marriage covenant. God says, I don't want a relationship with you like that. I don't want something empty and mechanical and cold and just going through some mechanical list of keeping the rules. I want a relationship. The old covenant was external. This new covenant is internal. It's very relational. Look what it says in verse 10. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel at that time. Here's this new covenant, says God, and it's exciting. I will put my laws in their minds. I'll put the laws in their hearts. We're not gonna need an external list of stone. I'll give them, I'll talk to them. I'll put my spirit in them and they're just gonna know. They're gonna have the desire. They're gonna have the law. It's gonna be in their heart. They're gonna wanna do it. What's that mean? He's not gonna tell you what to do. He's gonna give you the heart to want to do it. In other words, he doesn't make you do right things. He makes you right so that you wanna do right. See, we had this old nature that didn't want to obey God, that just, it was hard to try to keep the list because we were opposed in our heart to doing what was right. But then God came and he put his Holy Spirit in us and he changed us and he gave us a new nature and that new nature actually wants to do uh, the will of God. That new nature wants to please him and obeying God is what we want to do and it's a delight to do it. And if we mess up, you know, it's, that's the key. It's when you mess up and you realize, why did I do that? I don't want to do that anymore. And some of you get really depressed about that. Like, why do I keep my, listen, that's a symbol that God's spirit is inside of you. That you actually are frustrated. I don't want to do those wrong things. I actually want to do what's right. Where did that come from? That's God who changed the nature of your heart. Because before you didn't even care. 
But God's given you a heart saying, I want to do what's right. Jesus said it this way. If you love me, you'll do what I command. And the religious Old Testament, Old Covenant Christians have been beating people over the head with, with that verse forever. This is how they say it. If you love me, then you'll prove that you love me by doing what I command. And that's not what it says. It says this. If you love me, you'll do what I command. If you don't have a love relationship for the Father in your heart, stop trying to do God things. It's too hard. It's, it's, it's too hard to do the right things when you don't, but when you're in love, when you have a, a desire, a heart to please God, following him is easy. This, folks, this is good preaching. This is the gospel. This is, this is way better than you're responding this morning. I'm telling you, this is good. This is what you need to hear. When you deeply love God, it's not about duty anymore. It's about devotion to him. It's about a sense of, I, I love him, and he loves me, and it's my joy to do it. It's now on the inside. The second thing is, the old covenant has a master, like a slave master. Like, do those laws. Do my rules. The new covenant is totally different. See, if you see him as a master or a landlord, it'll be make you miserable. It's too hard to do this stuff. Some of you, you know, you find it hard. You're here today and you would just be honest. You would never tell me this, but you say, I just hate all this church stuff. I hate Jesus. I hate, the, I hate it because it's just too hard. I was never glad when they said to me, let us go in the house of the Lord. I was glad when it was over. <laughs> I was glad we could go to Culver's. That's what you would say, okay? I get that because it's too hard. It's too hard if you're just trying to do it when you feel like God is just forcing you. And these are the rules. But see, the old covenant had a master. The new covenant has a father. Listen to this. Verse 10 again, I will be their God, and they'll be my people. They belong to me. They're, I, they're not my servants anymore. They're not slaves. They're not, they're, I got enough angels in heaven doing whatever I tell them to do. I want a family. I want a relationship. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to talk. I want you. Now, here's an amazing thought. God knows everything about you and he still wants you. God knows it all. He sees everything, and he still loves you. I mean, he sees what I did. He sees all the things I did and all the things I'm going to do, and he still loves me. That blows my mind. God knows all my thoughts. He knows my secret thoughts, and he still wants me, and he still loves me, and he still wants me to be in his family. And the thoughts that he thinks, he wants you, see, and the thoughts that he thinks about you, get this, they're good. They're warm. They're compassionate. They are merciful. He knows all about you, and he wants you. Friends, this is the doctrine of adoption. I want to teach you this. This is the doctrine of adoption where God the Father wants to adopt you as his own child. See, this adoption is, a, is, a, is an act of the father. The child doesn't really even know what's going on. The father looks and filled with compassion sees, 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 sees someone. They have no father. They have nothing. They're alone. They're abandoned. They, they're lost. And the heart of the Father is filled with compassion and says, I choose you. No longer will you be alone. No longer are you from a, a nobody's family. I actually choose you and I make you mine. It's not going to be anymore where you could do something bad and, well, I'll get rid of you and send you back. I choose you and you're going to be part of my family. In fact, we're going to be like blood to one another. Everything that I have is yours. Everything uh, of you is mine. We are one. We're family now, as if we were blood. 
That's an amazing thought. God chose. It's a change of legal status. It's a status where you, you didn't have my name before, but now you're part of my family. It's not a change in nature. Not at first, because everybody knows you adopt an unruly child. It doesn't change their nature just because you adopt them. They're going to be unruly and rebellious. But if you discipline that child and you love them and over time and you just love them and you discipline them right, they'll, you can restore all that brokenness and that child will love you and, and things will be made right. It takes time to do that. But in the beginning, it's just a decision of the father to say, you're going to belong to me. And the security that gives to someone who's never had that before who felt fatherless in the world. That's why the Bible says God is a father to the fatherless. Whether you ever felt like you had a dad or a father who was good, you might even not even know the name of your father. You have a heavenly father that is seeking you and wants to adopt you, and it has nothing to do with what you've done. He's chosen to adopt you, and he says, I want you to be in my family, and I love you. I'm gonna make you my son. John 1, verse 12 says it this way. All who received Jesus, all who believed in his name, he gave the right. What does that mean? The authority. He gave them his name. He gave them the same rights as Jesus, who was a blood son. I give that same right to my adopted son. You're the same. That's what Galatians chapter 4 is all about. If you want to read more about this, where it says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. <laughs> if that doesn't blow your mind and just make you in awe, like, God, you have done this for me. See, your view of God is going to determine your relationship with him. Are you just a boarder paying the rent, or do you recognize that you're a son or a daughter? See, the old covenant has guilt, the third thing. The new covenant is, <laughs> has grace. Every time you do something bad, you feel bad about it. Some of you didn't worship today. You came in here and you thought to yourself, you know, I can't worship the Lord. I'd be a hypocrite after, you know, the weekend. And, you know, I shouldn't even go there. But I'm just saying, some of us just feel like, you know, I, I don't deserve because, you know, there's guilt and there's shame. And we base our relationship with him based on, well, I'm not doing very good with him right now. And we base it on the ups and downs of our performance and our guilt. And I've got good news for you today that God loves you and he does not change. He is immovable. He stands right there with you. He knows what you did. He knows what you will do. And he still loves you. In fact, theologically speaking, let me just say to you how a theologian would say it. The wrath of God has been fully satisfied by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's a big mouthful. But what he's saying is that God's anger against sin was, was settled because because God had a covenant, and he says, I will love you and bless you. I'll make you my family. You keep your part. Man could never keep their part. So God decided, I have to keep both sides of the covenant. The soul that sins must die, so what I'll do is I will come, and I'll die in the place of the sinner. He kept both sides of the covenant. The wrath of God against sin was fully satisfied. So what, that, what does that mean? It means he's not angry against sin anymore. See, the contractual business relationship says, well, i got to earn my way, pay my rent, do good so that God will love me. And God says, I already took care of that. I paid for that. That means he's not angry with you when you sin. He already knew about it. He's already seen it. He already knows what was done. He knows what you're going to do. You can't disappoint an all-knowing God. He made a decision that Jesus would settle sin, and now he's ready to offer grace. That's why the Hebrews writer would go on to say, let us come boldly before the throne of God with confidence, even when you mess up. Why? Because you will find grace. You'll find help when you need it. 
You're not going to come before God and receive a lecture. You're going to receive love. You're not going to come before God and receive judgment. You come before God humbly saying, God, I need you. You're going to receive grace. That's an incredible new covenant. Look what it says, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I will forgive their wickedness. Read this last part. Read, read this on the screen. Look at that. I will never, I mean, do you believe that or not? I will never, see, you say, well, that's too easy. That just proves you're a border. That just proves that you think that you've got to pay the rent. You've got to do something to earn this from God. And this is what God says to you. I've not moved. I will never again remember their sins. See, you don't come as a son or a daughter. You're going to be stuck in guilt your whole life. You're going to think that you have to somehow make up for the bad that you've done. You can't. You have to just let God be your dad. You have to let him just adopt you into the family and say, God, I, I need you to work on my nature. It's all messed up because of my past. But I come to you just as I am, and I want to be your child. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. And I want you to change me from the inside out. I'm not going to pretend anymore. See, if you don't come that way, you'll never get the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, like, wow, what you've done for me. The fact that you would just choose me and pick me and want me to be part of your family and make me like your own son in spite of all that I know that I did and all my private thoughts. Wow. When John, the, the, the apostle, writes 1 John, he spends two chapters in the beginning explaining the very love of God. And when he gets to the beginning of the third chapter, verse 1, he just drops the pen and just explodes and says, behold, like, the ex hallowed be thy name. Like, behold, what manner of love the Father has shown us that we would be called the children of God. It just hits him. I'm a child of God. See, if you don't have that, if you don't have the, our Father, you walk into church and you're just standing there, people are singing, you're watching, people are filled with gratitude, thanking God. You're cold, you're standing there, you know, God, you know, I'm doing my part, what about you? Where's God? You're, the cold are empty, there's nothing going on. Might look good on the outside, though. See, this is the thing about religion and being in a relationship with God. You can't tell from the outside. I don't know what your heart is. Only you can know. Only you know today if you're relating to God based on the old covenant or on the new. Because from the outside, it, it looks very much the same. But one is empty and cold and nothing going on on the inside. Just trying to keep the rules, pay the rent, keep God happy, expecting him to do his part, frustrated when he doesn't. Or the other one is this incredibly grateful, wow, I'm a, I'm a child of the Father. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What kind of relationship do you have with God? What's, what, what covenants are you living under? Because you can be raised in church, walk the aisle, baptized, know the, know the lingo, have, a, have all of it going on and have nothing going on on the inside. I remember that. I was 17 years old, child of a pastor, a missionary, uh, could, could tell all the Bible stories, and I knew how, I, from the outside, you'd never know, but on the inside, so far from God, really avoiding God because of guilt and shame. There's going to be a lot of people that stand before God at the end on Judgment Day, and they're going to stand there, and they're going to be shocked because to everybody else, 
on the outside, it was, it was an amazing, I mean, they couldn't tell. But look at what the Lord says. Look what it says in Matthew 7. A lot of people are going to come stand and call me Lord. Not everyone's going to come into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, even though they've done some pretty amazing things like cast out demons and prophesy and do miracles. But I'm going to tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It wasn't real. There was no relationship. It was just like laws on stone. It was just mechanical, going through the motions. The word knew there is just like you find in the beginning of the Bible where Adam knew Eve and they had a baby. It's a very intimate, like I know you kind of a term. I wonder if, yes, the relationship you have with your father in heaven. Do you know him? Does he know you? I love it when I get these texts from my children. I got one in the middle of the night from my son. Daddy, I love you. Thanks for being a great father. I love it when my, when my daughter sends me a text. Daddy, can you come help me fix the thing on my car? Daddy, can you help me with my homework? Or, Daddy, I love you. Or, just, I'm sitting on the, sitting on the couch, and they'll walk by and kiss me on the cheek. Just because we have this closeness. And there's nothing more precious to me than hearing those syllables, Daddy, even from my grown adult children. Do you know that word, our Father, in Aramaic, it's actually Abba? Jesus said, when you pray, say Abba, which is the direct translation in our language would be Daddy. And there's a lot of you that would feel very uncomfortable praying and calling your heavenly Father Daddy, talking to him that closely. I could never do that. He is the creator. He is the king. He is God Almighty. He is the God of the, I can't, you, he's too holy. I can't just talk to God like that. Because you're a border. Paying the rent. Listen, listen to me. There is only one person that can wake up a king in the middle of the night and ask him for a glass of water. And that's a child of the king. <laughs> and he is not, he is not embarrassed. He is not put off. In fact, the whole Lord's Prayer is going to be on the basis of our Father. Holy is your name. Wow, you're my Father. Give us today, Lord, our daily bread. Give me what you need. God, help me to forgive. God, it's this very personal conversation. The disciples saw this. and They said, we've never heard anybody pray like that. The religious people were mad. You can't talk to him like, you're, like he's your Father. You're making yourself equal of him. And Jesus was saying, this is, how, this is the new covenant. What, what covenants are you living under? If you're, not, if you're still, if you're calling yourself a Christian, but you're still living under the old covenant, I invite you to join me in the new. I invite you to leave behind that performance-based, rule-based, old covenant religion and come into a, a loving relationship with your heavenly Father. Because he wants to come into your life. He wants to, in a moment, he'll adopt you. He'll save you from being lost. But then over a period of time, he'll change your nature. He'll give you a new heart. He'll actually heal what's broken in your life. And over time, he'll redeem the past. And you'll look back and look at that old life. I don't even recognize myself before I was adopted by my heavenly father. That is the whole theme of this church. That is the whole reason why our church exists. We are here to tell people this message and to help them and to walk with them on the journey. Anybody can come, no matter who you are or what you've done. God wants you. He's been seeking you. He wants to adopt you and save you. He wants to restore you, and he wants to redeem you. And he wants to save you from empty old rule-based religion, and he wants to give you his Holy Spirit and change you from the inside out. I hope you see clearly what kind of relationship you've been having with him, and today 
you'll want to join me in the new. Will you pray with me now? Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Let me, let me guide you through a prayer on how to do that. Darren, I'm a, I'm a religious person. I, I, I've been calling myself a Christian for years, but really, when you describe it like that, I'm a border. I like God. I like him being a part of my life, but I don't have a relationship with him like you're talking about. I'm trying to pay the rent. Listen, just, just in your heart, in this moment, let's have this conversation. Let's, let's have, let me help you with this conversation you need to have with God. It goes like this. God, I don't deserve you as a father. I have sinned against you. I have broken your commands. I don't even come to you. I avoid you. I've run from you. I've held you at a distance. And you just say, God, that's true. That's me. I admit it. It humbles me to think that you loved me so much that you'd be willing to sacrifice your own son, that he died for my sin and he paid for it. I, I'm, I can't even wrap my head around it, but I believe that. And today I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I want to come into your family. I want to believe and receive. See, you have to do that. You can't be trying to work up and be good enough for God anymore. You've got to stop thinking that way. God, I need you. Come into my life. I'm ready to, to follow you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love and give me the heart to follow you. Make me your child. In Jesus' name, I say, yes, God, that's me. And Father, I thank you for the decision in this room that were real and they were sincere. I pray you'd fill each person with your Holy Spirit today. May they know the love of God. May it overwhelm them. May they feel set free. May they know that they're forgiven. May this be the brand new start of a new life. And Father, I pray for our church that we will always be the guilt-free zone. We will always be a place of grace. We will be the champions of this new covenant. That no matter who you are, what you've done, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. I love you. Do you receive that today? Mm. All right. God bless you. <laughs>